You know, if that song doesn't prepare your heart to preach and to worship, I'm afraid nothing will. Open your Bibles again with me to Genesis chapter 18. I have a message this evening that has just absolutely thrilled my heart as I studied it this week, and I pray that it will for you this evening. I've titled the message, How Christ Intercedes for His People. Our text we read earlier gives us a good picture. It's a picture of how Christ the Savior intercedes with His Father for His sinful people. And my desire tonight is that we leave here tonight finding great comfort for our hearts in knowing Christ the Savior is interceding with the Father for me right now, for you right now. And knowing why the Father always hears the intercession of His Son and always grants it. Now you'll remember earlier in this chapter we saw three men appear to Abraham. I told you two of them were angels and one of them is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And there's there's no doubt about that now in, in these verses, is there? Uh, Abraham wouldn't be praying to anybody but, but the Lord. But look here at verse 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether to the according to the cry of it which is come unto me. And if not, I'll know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And you'll notice there in verse 20 and verse 23, the word Lord is in all caps, capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The word is Jehovah. This is God with us. That's who Abraham's speaking to. He's speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ here. And we know what the Lord's getting ready to go do. We already know the story. He's going to go down and he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we tend to think, well, Sodom and Gomorrah deserved that for their sexual perversity that was going on there. And homosexuality is the sin that we're talking about. That's a sin that's associated with Sodom and Gomorrah. And we tend to think, well, this doesn't apply to us because we don't live in that lifestyle. And I would warn us all to be very careful about that and don't become self-righteous in thinking that. We need to remember this. Their sin, Sodom and Gomorrah, is no worse than my sin or your sin. Sin before God is sin. And as a matter of fact, homosexuality is not the worst thing going on in Sodom. And I can show you that if you look with me at Ezekiel chapter 16. I believe you'll find this very interesting. Ezekiel chapter 16. And verse 49, Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now, the number one sin of Sodom that the Lord mentions here is pride. And if we're honest, every one of us can identify with that. 
how prone all of us are to false pride in the flesh, falsely thinking, I can do something good. At least we think, well, I can do better than somebody else, or certainly I can do better than somebody who's in false religion. Some heathen has never heard the gospel at all. You know, I can do better than that. And worse yet, we fall into pride of grace. Pride that we know something, that we believe something that's true, that most of the world doesn't know. Now, God had to reveal that to us by His grace. He had to give that knowledge and that faith to us by His grace. And now we become proud of it? Shameful. Shameful. The first sin of Sodom the Lord mentions is pride. And I'll tell you why human pride is so offensive to God. Because human pride says, I don't need Christ to save me. Human pride says, I don't need to be saved by grace. I can do this on my own. How offensive that is to God. Then he mentions abundance of bread. They were so full. They had so much. They didn't think they needed anything. They had material blessings. So they thought they didn't need any spiritual blessings. They didn't seek God. You'd think if God would just bless you so abundantly, that'd cause you to seek Him. And that's not human nature, is it? They had abundance of goods, so they didn't seek God. Then he said, even though God made them so rich, they're selfish. Wouldn't help the poor and the needy. And in the middle of all that, he mentions haughtiness, pride again. And last of all, he mentions abominations, which we normally associate with the sexual sins of Sodom. But you know that word, abominations there, most usually in the Old Testament, is used referring to idolatry. Now the sin of homosexuality is probably not something any of us have a problem with. But we sure do have a problem with the rest of those sins, don't we? We have a problem with pride. Thinking that we're better than we are. We have a problem being full. When the Lord blesses us, we tend not to seek Him. The only time we seek the Lord is when He lays us low. We have a problem being selfish, want to hang on to what we got. We have a problem with idolatry. Our flesh constantly making us want to worship ourselves. When we, when our flesh wants to trust in our own works of the law, that's what that is. It's idolatry. And here's why I point all that out. So that we know, each of us, we need somebody to intercede for us with God. Just as much as the people of Sodom needed Abraham to intercede for, uh, for them. We need never forget how poor and how needy we are. And if you look over Matthew chapter 11, I'll show you another really good example that uh, fits like a hand in a glove to this congregation. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now people 
want to say that the sin of homosexuality is, is the worst sin. And you know why they want to say that? Because of every sin that you can think of, that's the only one you don't have a problem with. So we want to say that's the worst sin. And that's wrong. Our Lord tells us here the greatest sin is hearing the gospel preached and refusing to believe on Christ. It's the greatest sin, the sin of unbelief. And every one of us can identify with that because we haven't always believed, have we? We haven't always believed. The only reason we believe now is because of grace. And this is a, like I said, this warning fits like a hand in a glove to this congregation. It's really hard for me to imagine a group of people in a town who have had the gospel preached to them more clearly and more powerfully and more consistently than this town and this people have for many, many, many years. In Ashland, Kentucky, the gospel has been preached here for 60, 70 years. I don't know how long it's been. The gospel every week has been preached here. Clearly, powerfully, faithfully. Yet how many people believe? How many people? If we don't believe, if we don't believe the Christ that we've heard preached, we've sinned against greater light than the people of Sodom. Because of all the clear, good gospel preaching that we've heard. And again, I'm pointing this out so each of us will know how much this this message, this lesson applies to each of us. We desperately need someone to intercede for us with God. And the one we need interceding for us is not Abraham. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we get to that, do you know we can also intercede for each other? And we should. We should intercede for each other. We should pray for each other. And Abraham does a mighty good job of showing us how that's done. Number one, if we would plead with the Lord, we would intercede with the Lord for one of our brethren. Plead the character of the Lord. You know, never plead with the Lord like, well, Lord, you know, I don't deserve this, or they don't deserve this, or, or they've done something good. Don't plead that. Plead the character of the Lord. Not our character, His character. Plead for mercy. Look at verse 21 back in our text again. The Lord says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. Now, the Lord's not going to go down to Sodom to find out what's really going on down there. He's not wondering, well, I've heard all these things about Sodom. Is that true? The Lord already knows that. But he knows what's going on there because the Lord knows everything. There's nothing that's hid from him. I'll tell you what the Lord's doing here. He's being patient. The Lord always leaves room for repentance. The Lord always leaves room and time for mercy. Always. Now time's going to run out eventually, won't it? There's going to be a time of justice eventually, just like there was for Sodom. But nobody in Sodom could ever, nobody in Sodom who went to hell could ever say, the Lord did not give me a long time and plenty of time to seek mercy. The Lord was very patient before he destroyed them. And I'll apply that to us today and remind us today is the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of mercy. I know today is the day of mercy. The Lord's still being merciful. The Lord's still saving his people because he hasn't destroyed the world yet. 
We have loved ones that don't know Christ. The Lord's being patient, isn't he? He hadn't destroyed them yet. The Lord's leaving time for mercy. And if we would intercede for them, ask the Lord for mercy. Because that's the character of the Lord, to be merciful to sinners. Not because we deserve it, but because God's merciful. That's his character. Number two, when you plead with the Lord for God's people, you intercede for one of God's people. Plead the justice of God. Look here at verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked? That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now when you plead with the Lord for another believer, plead the justice of God. Now we're asking for mercy, but ask the Lord to be merciful. Ask the Lord to not destroy them. Ask the Lord to not let them go off into apostasy, to not go down the wrong path. Because for God, if God would allow one of his people to do that, that would be unjust. That would be against the just character of God. If, they, if the Lord let them go down that road and then destroy them, well, that would be unjust. Because the Father already punished Christ in their place. Their sins already been punished in the death of our substitute. Now the Lord can't punish somebody for their sin. If he already punished Christ for it. He can't punish two people for the same sin. That would be unjust, wouldn't it? So plead the justice of God. Ask for mercy through Christ our substitute. Ask for mercy because Christ already satisfied justice for us. We know this. The judge of all the earth shall do right. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted that verse to myself when things have gone on in my life. And you just, it, it's painful. You don't know what's going on. And this has been such a comfort. The judge of all the earth shall do right. He'd never done anything wrong. Never. It's right because he does it. So the Lord will never destroy the righteous. He'll never destroy the people that he has made righteous. Because there's no reason for him to. There's no reason for the Lord to destroy the righteous. They don't have any sin. <laughs> so his verdict will always be right. He'll never do wrong. So if you would intercede for one of God's people, plead God's character. Plead his justice. God be merciful because you already punished Christ for their sin. All right, number three. When you intercede for someone, don't be impatient. Don't quit begging. And here's why you don't quit begging. Because of the Lord's patient kindness. Look at verse 27. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Pertventure, there are like five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I'll not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, 
and said, Peradventure, there should be forty found there. And he said, I'll not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I'll speak. Peradventure, there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I'll not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I'll speak yet but this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for ten's sake. Now it sounds like Abraham is slowly negotiating the Lord down from 50 to 10. Sounds like he keeps trying to sweeten the deal. And that's not what's happening at all. Do you know why Abraham, Abraham keeps asking for more mercy? It's because of the mercy and the tenderness and the approachableness of the Lord. The Lord keeps granting mercy. So Abraham keeps asking for mercy. The Lord is abundant in mercy. You never have to worry about asking for so much mercy. His mercy will run out. Abraham kept asking for mercy because the Lord's abundant in mercy. The scripture tells us that believers can come boldly at all times, anytime you want, boldly before God's throne of grace. Now why can a sinner come such so boldly in the presence of Almighty God and continually ask for more mercy? Why can we do that? Well, first we come boldly because of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrifice has opened the way to God. He's opened the way to the throne of grace. We don't have to go to a throne of justice. We go to a throne of grace. Christ's blood, the blood of His sacrifice, the blood that He shed for the sin of His people, has put that sin away. So God's people can come boldly to the Father, knowing that because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the power of His blood, there's no reason for the Father not to hear us. There's no reason for the Father to cast us away. The blood of Christ has made us without sin. So because of the person of Christ, we can come boldly to the Father. Second, we come boldly because of God's grace that has made us children of God. Children are not afraid of a good and loving father. I'm reminded of a story Brother Mike Walker told. He was there somewhere in a, maybe a conference or something, and he, he had a sign on his door that don't, nobody come in. He was studying back there. He had a little three-year-old granddaughter, Macy. And she found out that's where her granddad was, and she went right on in. Somebody said, wait a minute, that sign says don't go in there. And she said, that doesn't mean me. <laughs> she went in, Mike put her up, put her right on. Oh, no, on his knee. Yeah, she, a child has no reason to ever fear coming into the presence of a loving father. Our heavenly father is a good and loving heavenly father. We never have to be afraid coming to his throne, begging him for more mercy. Like he's going to get tired of us asking for mercy. Never. Because he's made us his children. But now remember this. We come to our father boldly. But we come to him humbly. Humbly. 
We come before a throne of grace. But let's never forget, we're not talking to an equal here. We're talking to God on the throne. It's a throne of grace, but it's a throne. We're calling on our Father who is in heaven. But our Father who is in heaven is Almighty God too. So we speak to Him carefully and reverently. Isn't that how Abraham spoke to the Lord? Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, and I'm but dust and ashes. Verse 30, he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I'll speak. Verse 31, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. In verse 32, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I'll speak yet but this once. Don't ever be afraid to call on the Lord, asking for mercy, but remember who you're talking to. And do it humbly. If that is the only right way for the creature to talk to the Creator. It's the only right way for a child to talk to our Father. Isn't it? It's the only right way. Alright, number four. This can be a tough one. When you intercede for someone, yourself or someone else, intercede, ask God's mercy, and then wait on the Lord. Verse 33. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Now Abraham interceded for Sodom. And then the Lord went his way. He went his way to do what it is that the Lord does. The Lord went his way to do what God only God can do. By his sovereign will and his sovereign power. And what did Abraham do? Abraham returned to his place. Abraham went back to the tent door to do what men do. Wait on the Lord. Now isn't that a good pattern? You see a good pattern? We intercede for each other. With the Lord, that's a good pattern. But the real blessing and comfort for the hearts of God's people is this is a picture of Christ our Savior interceding for His people with the Father. I'm so thankful to ever find out one of you is interceding and praying for me. I'm so thankful. I thank God for that. But I tell you what I need. I need. I need Christ the Savior interceding for me with the Father. And Abraham is a picture here of Christ making intercession for his people. But this is just a picture now. Abraham is just a two-dimensional picture. It's not a three-dimensional thing. It's a, it's a foggy picture. We see Christ in this through a glass darkly. Here's why I say that. First of all, when Abraham made intercession for Sodom, Abraham didn't know if the Lord granted his request or not, did he? He didn't know. But when Christ our mediator makes intercession for his people, the issue's not in doubt. Christ knows his Father will give him what he asks. Because when Christ our mediator makes intercession for his people, he's pleading the justice of God. There's never a doubt that he's going to get what he asked for because he's pleading for justice, what he purchased by his death for his people. Now I know Abraham pleaded with God's justice too. It wouldn't be right for you to destroy the, the righteous with the wicked. Abraham said, that just wouldn't be just. And you always do what just, what is just, but... Abraham didn't know 
is there any righteous people in Sodom or not? I mean, he may have thought his nephew Lot was, but he didn't know. Is there anybody there righteous? He didn't know. When Christ intercedes for his people, he knows the Father is going to give him what he asked for because our mediator is asking for what his blood already purchased. His blood already paid the sin debt for his people in full. So when he asks the Father for forgiveness, he knows he'll have it because payment has been made. The Father already accepted the payment. See, the Savior is not asking for a favor when he intercedes, is he? We might, we might feel like we're asking God for a favor. Would you intercede for my friend? Would you, would you, you know, Christ's not asking for a favor. He's asking for what his blood purchased under God's justice. So our mediator knows this. He knows the Father will be merciful to his people because he bears the scars. He already satisfied justice for them. The Father's not going to destroy his people. Christ already died in their stead. There can be no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus because Christ was already condemned for us. Now I want you to think about what that means. For those of us who believe Christ, what does that mean? Well, it means this. If the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, I can tell you what he's doing this very moment. He's making intercession for his people. If Christ died for our sins, the Father hears that intercession and we can never perish. If Christ is interceding for you, you can never be punished for your sins and your failures because Christ was already punished for you. Let me show you that in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Our mediator is never off the job. He's always heard of the Father. So he is able to save to the uttermost. The worst sinner you could ever think of who would come to God by him. If you trust Christ, if you come to God by Christ, you can never perish. Never. A second, Abraham knew his nephew Lot was in Sodom. He probably figured Lot was a righteous man. But he didn't know. Is there anybody in that town... Is there anybody in that whole plane that God will save? Is there anybody? Abraham didn't know everybody he was interceding for. I heard that there was um, over half a million people lived in that town of Sodom. Abraham didn't know that many people. He didn't know. He didn't know he was interceding for. But Christ our Savior personally knows every single person he makes intercession for. And he never forgets. Look at Luke chapter 22. He never forgets to intercede for his people. Nothing is going on that is so great, that's so much bigger and more important than us, that the Lord will forget to make intercession for one of his people. Luke 22, 
verse 31. The Lord is getting ready to go be made sin for His people. What a night He's preparing to have. Verse 31. can, Can you imagine what's on His mind? The suffering, what He's getting ready to accomplish. And poor old Simon, Simon Peter, is not so insignificant that the Savior doesn't stop to take care of him. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now this was a prayer that the Lord made for one of his sheep, specifically for Peter, that his faith fail not. And you'll notice the Lord had no doubt his prayer would be answered. He's the mediator. The Father always hears his intercession because he says when you're converted. He didn't say if you're converted. He didn't say if you survive this. Peter, when you're converted. When you learn something and you grow up a little bit, strengthen your brethren. He knew his prayer would be heard. And sure enough, it was, wasn't it? Peter stumbled. But his faith in Christ didn't fail. And you know why it didn't fail? Because the Lord made intercession for him. The Lord prayed for him. Now in that great hour. I mean this is approaching the hour of hours. The Lord could stop. And not forget Peter. And not forget to pray for him. To make intercession for him. I'm pretty confident. Nothing else is going to go on it so big. That the Lord's going to forget to pray for you too. <laughs> He prays this way for all of his sheep in every situation. Now look back at our text again quickly. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare all the place for their sakes. Now, if the Lord could have found 50 righteous in the city, that whole plain, would have been spared destruction for their sakes. For their sakes. Have you ever wondered, our world has just gone so far off the rails, why didn't the Lord just destroy us? Why did He just wipe out this whole thing right now? How can the Lord keep being so patient with us? Well, I can tell you why. Because of the righteous few that are left in it. Because of the righteous few who have yet to be given saving faith in Christ. Maybe they're not even born yet. They're going to hear the gospel and believe on Christ. And the Lord does not destroy this whole creation for that remnant's sake. For the sake of His people. The Lord cannot destroy this creation until all of His people are taken out of it. Because He cannot and will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And the Savior sits at His Father's right hand And I've told you this so often. I I love this. That he doesn't have to constantly be saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgive them for that one. Forgive them for that one. Father, I paid. Now don't, 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 wait, wait a minute. Don't throw us, hit them, strike them with lightning. I paid for that. All he does is sit there beside his father with those scars evident in his body. And that's all the intercession that we need. The father's satisfied. But I wonder, I wonder, what would it sound like to be in heaven right now and hear the Son 
talking to the Father, making intercession for His people. I think in general terms, I'm pretty sure of this, we'd hear prayers that our sin be forgiven, that His people be given eternal life and faith in Christ, that His people be preserved. But I know for sure some specifics. I know He prays for eternal life for His people, that we would know God, that we'd be kept by His power, that we'd have joy in Christ, that we'd be kept from evil, that we'd be given holiness, that we would all be of one, one, one mind, one mind with each other and one with Christ. He prays that we would all know the Father loves us. How do you know the Father loves you? Because He crucified His Son for you. That's how you know. And He prays that when our trip through this veil of tears is done, that we be with Him in glory. I know that. How do I know that? John 17. Look over there. Let's read it. John 17. This is our Lord's great high priestly prayer. And short of glory, this is as close as we are ever going to get to hearing the Savior make intercession for us. And I thought, as I was sitting up here earlier as we were singing, I'm not going to add anything to this. I'm not going to pray after I read this prayer of our Savior. So this this will serve as the close of the message and our closing prayer. In light of everything we've been talking about, listen to this. This is Christ making intercession for His people. And He's going to have everything He asked for. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I've kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, 
but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. All right, Sean, come lead us in a song.